0: We are going to kick off formally tonight what we started last week as an intro. Last week, we gave you time to write down on cards how you would answer the question, if God exists, how can he allow evil and suffering? And then we kind of went around the room and let you talk about it. And one thing I discovered that was really cool is, you guys are way more coherent in writing than you are orally. (laughs) I got some amazing arguments on the cards. Some of you were like writing multiple cards in really small. I mean, I actually got somebody who footnoted their card. I mean, this was like you know? It was pretty amazing. No, Jeremy didn't answer the question, he just asked more questions. You know? Like anybody who's studying philosophy would do, just like couldn't even just punted. And just asked more questions that were even harder than the original question that was asked. So we kind of Received some of your feedback, you're going to see some of that tonight. And we don't start a series unless we justify why we would spend God's time. We steward His time, why we would spend any of it, especially over the next several weeks. I mean, this could go all the way into the end of October. Why we would spend that much time dealing with this issue. And if you remember from last week, I said that for non Christians, this has got to be one of the biggest stumbling blocks. It's the most frequently cited issue when people say, Here's my problem. Here's why I don't believe, and I'm going to read from somebody tonight that has that problem. For us also as Christians, this question really gets to us too. In fact, if I can think of a question that trips people up enough to the point where they check out of the faith at some point, it's probably this question. They come to a point where they have a difficulty and they don't seem to be able to resolve it. I don't know that we're going to resolve it. And I think what's really going to happen, regardless of what answers we come up with, is the third reason. Whenever we tackle a question that's this big, it's going to change the way we see God. It's going to expand our view. It's going to actually surprise you maybe about some things that you thought you believed or maybe how they intersect with other beliefs. So especially in this room, as you know, you're encouraged to stop anytime, raise your hand, disagree, ask questions. That's why we're here, so that I'm not the one just Speaking one way, I want you to talk back. The Holy Spirit speaks through everyone in this room, and I hope we wrestle against one another so that the truth of the Spirit comes out that way. Let me state the problem that some have stated the problem of evil as. This is the classic problem of evil, kind of phrased into four points, and I'm not raising it tonight so we can solve it. I just want you to know, because some people maybe haven't even encountered it. So I didn't want to assume that everybody understood what the problem was. And this is kind of a little bit more of an elementary formulation of the question. So let's just go through this really fast as an intro for us. If God exists, then he's omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent. If you're not familiar with what all those are, this is kind of, just put them down here, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good. That's just one way to phrase it. Number two... If God were omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent, then the world would not contain evil. That's the proposition that's advanced. I think number three we would all agree with. The world does contain evil. So the conclusion in number four is, therefore, an omniscient, omnipotent, and benevolent God does not exist. That's the classic formulation of the problem of suffering and evil. But I can change it slightly. Some Christians who've wrestled with this and some people who are outside of the faith who've wrestled with this said, well, maybe those three things don't have to be true. Who said number one has to be true? So, for example, they've changed the last part. They said maybe God is all-knowing and all-powerful, but he's not good. Some people have called this kind of the malevolent God theory. Maybe he's just not such a nice guy. That would solve it, wouldn't it? I mean, he can see what's going to happen. He has the power to prevent it, but he doesn't. So that's just because he's not a good guy. So some people check into that camp, go, that's me. I just, maybe he's there, but if he is there, he's certainly not a good God. All right, let's tweak another one. Somebody says, well, maybe he's all-knowing, and he's good, but he's just not all-powerful. Maybe he can't prevent things from going wrong. Maybe that's what's wrong with God. This position was popularized by a lot of people, but most known, Rabbi Kushner wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And in that book, he popularized the idea that when God sees horrible things happening to people, he wants to prevent it, he just can't. He's not powerful enough to do it. So maybe that's one way we can just solve the problem go, yeah, sure, he knows everything and he's really good, he's just not very powerful. Or we could tweak one more. Maybe he is powerful, maybe he is good, but he just doesn't know what's going to happen next. Maybe he's not all-knowing. Maybe we attributed that to him. There are a number of authors, Christian authors included, who are starting to write, and maybe you've heard of this term, open theism, which is... That's not the accurate statement of what it is, but that's kind of the doorway to beginning to think, you know what, maybe it's possible that God just doesn't know what's going to happen. Like he's sitting up in heaven waiting, like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? Because it seems like it's difficult to have all three. I'm just setting up the problem. It's intellectual. Maybe we come back to it after we're all done and we look at it one more time. I'm not here to start us down the road of philosophy. In fact, I'd like to go a little bit different road first. You see, this problem sounds like we should just be dealing with philosophy, and and we will be. But there's a real problem going on here, too. There are people who are suffering. See, if we ever get to the point where we deal with this purely intellectually, we've lost the whole point. Jesus had compassion for people. When he saw people who were suffering, he didn't spend time going through a logical proof with them. Going, now, let me see what you think. What do I think? I mean, he had compassion and he met people where they were and where they suffered. So it's a real problem. It brings real suffering. It also trips us up. This book that I'm holding in my hand is written by Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is one of the... Well, he's probably known as one of the better New Testament scholars... Very good background, grew up in a Christian home, went to Moody Bible Institute, went to Wheaton College, went to Princeton School of Theology, got his MDiv, got his PhD, studied Greek, basically can translate the New Testament by himself with his own translations, teaches New Testament now at the University of North Carolina and other places, and lost his faith over this question that we're dealing with. It wasn't philosophical for him. Here's what he writes. I'd like to read this to you. I don't usually read from books very much, but I'd like you to hear his words. Because, by the way, I've known of Eremon's work for a long time. He's written at least 20 books that kind of attack the Christianity that we believe in and dissect it. And he's very fair to it because he knows it so well. He's not, you know, a rabid atheist. He's actually considers himself an agnostic. But I've always wondered what made him lose his faith because he was... Doing so well. And in this book, the problem, he calls it, it's, the book is God's Problem. And it's about the problem of suffering. He actually tells why he lost his faith. He says this, I felt compelled to leave Christianity altogether. I did not go easily. On the contrary, I left kicking and screaming, wanting desperately to hold on to the faith that I had known since childhood and had come to know intimately in my teen years. But I came to a point where I could no longer believe. It's a very long story, but the short version is this. I realized that I could no longer reconcile the claims of faith with the facts of life. In particular, I could no longer explain how there could be a good and all-powerful God actively involved with this world, given the state of things. For many people who inhabit this planet, life is a cesspool of misery and suffering. I came to the point where I simply could not believe there is a good and kindly disposed ruler who is in charge of it. The problem of suffering became for me the problem of faith. After many years of grappling with the problem, trying to explain it, thinking about the explanations that others had offered, some of them pat answers, charming for their simplicity, others highly sophisticated and nuanced from serious philosophers and theologians, after thinking about the alleged answers and the continuing to wrestle with the problem about nine or ten years ago, I finally admitted defeat. And I came to realize that I could no longer believe in the God of my tradition and acknowledge that I was now agnostic. I don't know if there's a God. But I think if there is one, he certainly isn't the one that's proclaimed by the Judeo-Christian tradition. The one who is actively and powerfully involved in this world. And that's when I stopped going to church. That's tough. Because that's not some philosophical proof. That's real. That's somebody who has... A lot of knowledge and didn't do it based on just ignorance. You know, in the past I've gone to ex-Christian websites and read some of the blog postings and just shaken my head at some of the crazy arguments that people check out of Christianity because of. And I usually say if they had just studied more, or known more, asked a question, if somebody could have helped them, but they just checked out too early. That doesn't describe Bart Ehrman. He actually knew it too well and still checked out. Why is that? That's what we're here to kind of study. Let's pray for a moment and move forward in that sense. Lord, as we set this up today, we ask first and foremost again that you, through your Holy Spirit, would come forth and speak through every person here, that you would strengthen faith above intellectual knowledge, that you would strengthen obedience that we have to follow you, That in the end, Lord, that we celebrate a God who is unsearchable, who is greater than our comprehension, and that you would take away any notion that we're going to somehow be able to prove in a mathematical proof somehow how to solve every one of these problems. But, Lord, you are also God who wants us to know him, who took great effort to give us your word and to communicate with us so that you might be revealed. And so, Lord, it's in that way that we move forward tonight, both for faith and to know you better. Lord, help us to help our friends who are struggling with this. And yes, Lord, even people in this room, we will struggle in our lifetime. May we turn to one another for help. And you, God, be our comfort. Pray this in your name. Amen. So this problem isn't just intellectual. Look at this. D.A. Carson in his book, How Long, O Lord, says this is the progression of people who fall into suffering. They don't think about it like a proof. It works like this. Your first question when you're in suffering is, why me? Why is it happening to me? The next question might be, God, why are you punishing me? Why are you picking on me? As suffering goes on and we don't find an answer. Maybe you aren't a God of love. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you're not fair. And finally, maybe you just aren't there. That could be a poem, that last part, right? That's kind of cool. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if one of you guys could put that to a worship song? Like, you know how people in church will sing to anything as long as it's on a PowerPoint? Like, can you imagine a whole congregation of people going, Maybe you don't care. Maybe you're not fair. Maybe you're not there. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: you know he's so great wouldn't it? that would rock okay let me tell you some answers just off the bat to see if you evaluate them I'm throwing them out early because I spent some time this week looking at what do Christians say here's some answers that Christians put out and we're going to be evaluating these over the next couple of weeks you can even evaluate them now right now you can roll your eyes or raise your hand and totally disagree vehemently suffering is a test from God. By the way, I want you to imagine the person who's telling you this in church when you turn around and go, yeah, this just happened to me. And then they say, suffering is a test from God. You know that person, right, who's always got the quippy answer, right? Number two, we suffer to provide an example to others of how to live in the midst of suffering. Because we can show, we can like be strong and show an example to other people. Go, look at me, look how good I'm doing. Suffering helps us to better sympathize with others. Stated a little bit differently is if people didn't suffer, we wouldn't love our fellow mankind or humankind because suffering softens our heart enough for us to care about them. It's found in a number of Christian books, including, by the way, it might surprise you, C.S. Lewis said this. Oh, if he said it, it's true, right? (laughs) Suffering keeps us humble. That's an answer that's given. Suffering keeps us humble. Number five, we learn through suffering. God teaches us through suffering. So think about this for a moment. That may be a true statement, for example, like you might learn something through suffering. But the way this is usually stated is not just like, hey, if you suffer, one of the side benefits might be you're going to learn something. This view is that God might allow or even send suffering to teach you something. Through suffering, we learn to depend on God, number six. Seven, God uses suffering to get our attention, to speak to us. Suffering helps us grow in our relationship with Christ. Suffering is a form of God's discipline in our lives. Suffering is God's punishment on unrepentant people. How many people agree with that? Suffering is punishment on unrepentant people from God. You don't agree? You never read the Bible? We're going to have to read the Bible in here.
1: Matthew Ferguson.
0: Wow, not a single taker on that one? I said I do. Oh, sometimes. Sometimes. sometimes.
1: Oh, sometimes.
0: I agree. Hang on. Philip?
1: I think presenting that question to us is, if these are answers to why suffering exists, it's, they're, none of them are valid answers at all. Right. But all of these, if they're true, any of them, are, hey, these are results of suffering, or maybe something that... Is a benefit of suffering.
0: And by the way, these these statements like I've said it's not that they're just benefits or things that might happen. These are all statements that I've found in Christian literature that talk about why God either allows it or causes it. The purpose of suffering is to produce these things, not like this is a benefit of suffering. Yeah. But all of these
2: seem to be explanations or justifications to people who
3: already believe in a God, to anyone who was asking the question, if there is a God, these would be completely invalid because if they can say, well, then there is no God, none of these would make
0: any sense. Yeah, can you imagine? I, actually, you might even prevent them from even getting to that point if you gave that answer. That's why I'm putting them up here because I want you to see like, some of those, what Ehrman kind of nicely called pat answers you know, that are charming, he said. Like, I think that was an ironic word because like, none of these seem charming. Let me just get to the last one. Suffering furthers the work of Christ in this world, like persecution, martyrs, and suffering for the gospel. That's another one that's widely circulated. Okay, and I'm sorry I'm throwing out so many lists at you tonight because I'm trying to set up all the stuff that we have to work with. And one more list is what you gave me last week, your explanations for suffering. Here's what you said. God has given us free will and our actions cause others to suffer. That was by far the most common statement. I would say out of whatever cards we got back or whatever it was, I would say like 95% of them had at least somewhere in there a reference to free will. God wants us to have faith and to know his grace is sufficient. Suffering draws our eyes in seeing our separation from good. Another person said, Suffering helps us develop better principled behavior, avoid judging others, and makes us more willing to sacrifice unnecessary things come back and evaluate all these at the end, see if you still believe them. Without suffering, there would be no growth. Suffering allows us to depend on God, so there's a dependence. Suffering makes us appreciate eternity free of suffering. So, like, if you get it really, really bad now, you're going to love it later, you know? That's like the guy who's kept hitting himself in the head with a hammer, and they're like, why are you doing that? He's like, because it feels so good when I stop. <laughs> We live in a fallen, sinful world. Suffering results from original sin. Somebody else contributed. To stop suffering, God would have to stop a countless number of events, thoughts, words, and actions. Kind of, I started thinking about that, going, yeah, where would it end? I mean, he would have to stop everything at some point. Jesus said God would allow evil until the end of time, at which time it would be removed. That's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So we have a biblical explanation saying that that there's going to be a time. That still doesn't exactly explain why it's there, but at least somebody remembered our intensive study of Matthew. Suffering allows us to seek God. It keeps us from self-sufficiency. Suffering is caused by our lack of desire and will to do what is good. God desires to defeat evil and show his character fully. So without allowing suffering, he couldn't show us his character by defeating evil. One more page of lists. The only way to have true goodness is to have the possibility for evil. And I think, by the way, that meant in humans, because I think God could be eternally good again without there being any possibility. God allows suffering because through redemption he brings glory to himself. We are promised redemption and given away out of suffering. Some suffering comes from the fact that we are stewards of the earth and choose to do nothing out of our own selfishness. And finally, suffering exists so we appreciate the contrast to God's goodness. That's everything we've collected so far. That's a lot of information to throw out there. What we're going to do now for the next couple of weeks is start to dissect it slowly. Slowly. And try to get to the bottom of some of these statements. Maybe not every one of them. Maybe not every reason. But we're going to now start kind of more at the beginning. Because some of you last week pointed out that it seems like we still have a problem of why it's there in the first place before we get to the benefits or why God continues to allow it. So let's start there. The number one answer you gave was free will. How many people believe that free will causes some amount of suffering in this world. I think most people seem to believe that in some way on their cards. That free will explains a lot. So if suffering and evil is a block that we've got to get through over the next couple of weeks, we're going to take the largest chunk right now and try to deal with it over the next week or so. Because it seems like I don't have to convince you that by having free will... We do evil to one another, and it causes suffering. We just choose that on our own. For some reason, we do. C.S. Lewis said that four-fifths of human suffering is caused by the actions of people against one another. Now, I don't know where he got four-fifths. Like, I don't know how he measured it. It's probably about as scientific as four out of five dentists choose dentine or whatever. Like, I'm not sure... (laughs) I'm not really sure how scientific the four-fifths is, but that's the statement he made, four-fifths. So I've decided that, again, because it's C.S. Lewis, (laughs) (laughs) who am I to question him, that we should just take the four-fifths and deal with it and then think that if that's true, let's divide it up. So if four-fifths is caused by free will, I want to use the terms that are actually attached to it. These are general terms. There's a lot more nuances to them. But in general, you can divide up this topic of evil into two camps. Moral evil and natural evil. Moral evil is that part that basically, the easiest way to say it, is the evil we do to one another based on our free will. It's like murder and theft and burglary and the things that we use to do that. And then the other one-fifth, is other things, and I'm going to put in the word natural evil for right now, dealing with things that are like maybe tornadoes and hurricanes and storms and a bunch of other things too. Let's take just the C.S. Lewis four-fifths part and separate it out and focus just on this. Does this solve it for us? If it's true, as C.S. Lewis says, as all of us said on our cards, as many people believe, and as the number one defense to why is there evil in the world, you'll always hear people who are defending God say in defense, it's because he gave us free will. I think all of us agree at an elementary level, like I said, that free will, it causes suffering to other people when we exercise our free will. But the reason I ask the question, does it solve the problem, is some of you on your cards and other places Jeremy, this week in a blog posting on our, on our website, asked the next question, which is, if this is true, why do we even have free will? Let me ask it in a step-by-step way. Could God have created a world in which there was no evil? How many people think that God could create a world in which there is no evil? Okay, it's practically everybody. So the real question is, then why didn't he? Yeah? Um, I think he could have, but then at the same time, that would be taking away our
3: free, uh, most of our, our free will. Because most people, when they choose to act upon free will, most of the thoughts that's going gone is like, negative or evil or something
2: like that. Thus, we hurt one another. So.
0: Okay, so he could have done it, but you're saying that to do it, we'd have to have beings created that had no free will. Okay? How many people agree, by the way, that if God is going to create a world where there's no possibility of evil, that he has to, there couldn't be free will? A world in which there is no possibility for evil, that is equal to no free will. Do you agree with that, or no? Surly. I agree. Um, You have to
2: make robots, because... Uh, free will exists in all beings created by God, including even animals, even uh, Satan, even the angels. I don't think God wants to create robots. I think God wants to create beings that want to love him voluntarily.
0: Okay, we're going to get to what he wants to do, but if he's going to create a world that has no possibility for evil, you're saying that that means nobody gets free will. Okay, who, who agrees? Agrees? <laughs> a lot of people agree? Morgan?
3: I think we need to get out of the whole black and white
0: Like I mean, some...
3: I think this is where Jeremy's point last week is actually very important, that it's a completely different universe and way. Because all we do is compare it to the way things are, because this is what we know, right? And we don't even know everything. <laughs> Anyways, but you have to think of an idea of God creating a world that we can't comprehend, that, that plays by different... The whole thing is different. So you do have to start there and say, okay... So there is a limited will of some sort, but you have a different universe. You have a different thing going on. So we have to acknowledge knowledge.
0: Okay, so in your view, it doesn't mean the eradication of free will. It just means it has to be a limited a free will that we can't imagine in the universe that we live in because he didn't... Career. Okay. All right, Joseph?
4: No, I do kind of agree with Morgan. and I'm not saying that this is what I believe. It's a thought, and the Garden of Eden... like. They pretty much had free will, except for the tree. So God only taught them good. They have no idea what evil was. So how could they, they, have, they have free will, but just don't know what evil is? So they don't seem to have be able to create any action of evil because they are nurtured with no evil in their life. So that could be a possibility that they have free will, complete or maybe limited free will without. Complete.
0: So, your definition of limited free will in your case is that in the garden, um, because they have this eat or don't eat free will, right? Like, I mean, they can do anything they want, but the thing that's going to cause the fall is this one thing.
4: They could maybe potentially have
0: free will without any. Assistance. Okay, Lenny?
1: Well, two things choice and free will, not the same thing. Like, me having the ability to be like, I want popcorn or a chocolate chip cookie is not the same thing as, like, wanting to go against, like, God's nature and his will or his plan for life or what's good or, like, whatever. So, like, choice and free will, totally different. Like, if there's not even an option for me to go against God, like, that's not free will.
0: Okay, you're disagreeing that there could be a limited free will.
1: To me, that's like an oxymoron, like a limited free will. It's like, it's either free will or we don't have free will, but we have options.
0: Okay, two things. First of all, for those of you who are struggling with limited free will and this issue of choice and free will, just to point out that many people who look at the idea of heaven and the garden those two stages look and say that's exactly what's going on there is a limited free will we're going to be in heaven where there is no suffering and sin but we hopefully will still have choices to eat popcorn or ice cream otherwise it'd be really boring for eternity we somehow will have limited free will not to sin again but still to have choice to eat popcorn or ice cream yeah philip
1: um, we talked about free will in the morning, we talked about like, limited free will, and Monique's talking about this difference between choice and free will, and it, the problem we're into is that like, we don't have a definition of terms, um, but, like, I, I've never heard a good definition of free will, ever, um, and I feel like probably most people have a different concept than actually what that means.
0: Okay, let's define it. A very simple definition for our purposes tonight, okay? And the simplest one is the ability to choose evil. Mark.
2: Uh, Well, let's imagine that there is a world where there is uh, no possibility for evil. If God singled someone out and gave them a command to pick up this rock, you don't then have a choice whether to pick up the rock because not picking it up would be against his will.
0: So you say there would be no free will. Right. Okay. Unless God just had a whole area where he just didn't get involved directly, like there were no commandments about. That would go back to the limited free will idea. Okay. Go ahead.
3: Well, I think another uh, thing, we, we just really need to define what we say evil is, as well as suffering, because like, if we don't define that, like, what well, is that not obeying God and picking up the rock? is like, that what
2: we're going to define as evil? Um, because if we don't have a basis for evil, I don't know how we can talk about it.
0: Okay, I think for, again, for this discussion, we're defining evil as the ability to basically choose against whatever God wants or sin suffering of course is often a consequence of that right when you do something to somebody else or do something on your own that can produce suffering could god have created a world in which there was no evil yes. okay could god have made a world inhabited by beings with the power to choose good and evil so now they have the power to choose where no one ever made the wrong choice how many people think God could have made this world and given people the freedom to choose good or evil in which nobody ever made the wrong choice? How many people think that could have happened? They had a choice, but they voli- Everybody did it right. Okay. How many people think God could not do that? Why not? Because it wouldn't be a choice. You have a choice, but nobody chooses
2: it. Yeah, he's all smarter than that. <laughs> Hang on,
3: Morgan. Let's say God created us so that we could see the result of our action before it happened. Let's just, I mean, we're talking an alternate universe here. And so you can see how someone would always, you know, be able to calculate, no, that would be bad, so I will do the good, right? Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, we could conceive of a world where God creates people to see the end result and then to be smart enough or... or Good heart enough to say, no, I would never choose that. I would do this. So you could do that. This is why this alternate universe thing is an important thing, because we are so stuck in only that it's not a robot. That is not a robot. It's a different world, and we could conceive of God.
0: Okay, Dan?
2: Okay, angels are beings, and most of them chose not to, to make this choice, and so obviously God has already done this.
0: Hey, nobody's taking away choice here. I mean, some of you guys are still like, let's look at the words. (laughs) You have the power to choose. You just, on your own, using your choice, just decide, you know, that you're just not going to choose wrong. Sounds like most of you agree that could have happened. Let's move to the next one. Could God have made a world inhabited by beings with the power to choose good or evil in which no one was capable of making the wrong choice. Does that even make sense? I not a simple example. It's hard for us to imagine. I like, you imagine, like, you create someone in a
1: room, like, with no windows, and say, like, yeah, you don't have the ability to break windows, they're just hard to do. You
3: know? Like... <laughs>
1: okay. You can someone the ability to do something, but never give them any position, like, where they could wrong someone, or they could do anything, like... Somehow, like, I can't know what that look like, but I like, a like that.
0: Okay, that's very interesting that you picked up on that. <laughs> I like that. Okay, Brian? Okay, how are you going to uh, give them the choice to choose between good or evil if there is no evil to choose from? Okay, that's a good point too. And that's actually kind of what this is starting to get at. Because what happens when we get down to this third level here is oftentimes we're creating a God problem when there really is, all we're really doing is playing around with words and impossibilities. Like, we believe in a God who could do the impossible. But can God say you have free will, but I don't give free will? Like, what does that mean exactly? When we create those kinds of philosophical problems for us to debate. And this actually will become very important. This is not just like something to play around with. Like, oftentimes we're presented like with the idea, like, can God create a rock so big he can't lift it? Whenever we play with those kinds of games, what we're doing is we're starting to set up choices against one another they're actually impossibilities. And then we're saying, ah, you see, there is no God because of that. Well, I think in this case here, what I'm trying to point out is this argument has been made that God could have created a world where everybody has a choice, but there is no choice. But that doesn't make sense. You can't have a world where there's free will, where God doesn't have free will. Like, then it's not free will. Believe it or not, that argument is made quite often. Jeremy. I disagree with me, I think that there's a way to defend free. I just need time to think about
3: it.
0: Okay, in my humble opinion, I would submit to you that saying that God can create a world in which people have choice, but where he doesn't give anybody choice, is not choice, is not free will, right? And I'm not here to try to point out that God could have done this and he should have. That's the argument that's made. I'm just here to say we have to be careful when we construct arguments like that, that we're not creating impossibilities and go, aha, I think I've stumped him. But we'll give Jeremy a week to come back and explain it because he asked for it. He wants time. I think that's good. Let me go to this point. If God knew that humans would sin, is he responsible for the evil and suffering which results because he went ahead and created us? The argument that's often made in real life is, if you know that somebody's going to go shoot somebody and you're the one that hands them the gun, are you responsible? Okay, it's a crude example, but that's often the way it's stated. If God knew that humans would sin, is he responsible? Philip? Yes, okay. So in your view, God is responsible for the sin of the world. Define responsible. Is he morally culpable?
1: No, I, don't,
0: I would say he's responsible, but not more culpable. I... You mean responsible, like as a causative factor? Yeah,
1: to some degree, not directly. But I mean, if we say God's the only thing that existed to begin with, I can't see I would say anything that exists. God's not the cause of.
0: So you believe in the same way that God is the cause of all things because He began all things. You attribute to Him the causation for sin in that same way, but not moral responsibility, like not moral culpability. I don't know why, but it seems that like the Bible presents that he's not more of Because you want to live, that's why. <laughs> Dan.
2: Does knowledge mean that it forces or causes something to
0: happen? No. The reason I put new in quotes is because there is always a debate about what God knows, as you saw from the intro, but does he know, does he know in advance? And I'm going to define it, and the reason I put it in quotes is that he had foreknowledge, or if you believe that God's eternally at a point of now at all times, he fully knows that this is going to happen. Not anything more than that. But just knowing that it was going to happen for sure without any possibility it was going to change, does that make him responsible? Because to comment on what we were starting to highlight, some people take a different position, which we might end with if we have time. The open theism view kind of is like, well, God could be less responsible and not morally culpable if the knowledge wasn't certain, like things could still change. Then he doesn't really know. In my example, he knows for sure.
4: Yeah. All right, so what I would say is God is, within his character, if he is benevolent, meaning that he wills good, then he is, if he creates something, then he is required to respond to what happens. Um, If not, then he is the clock-making deity of some of our nation's fathers who made it and isn't responsible for it, doesn't have to respond when it does something wrong, when it breaks, or... um, or when it cries out against him, I don't think that that is in line with his character. His character is the one that responds to his creation.
0: Okay, last comments going this way. Yeah.
2: Okay, if we look at it from the standpoint of him being responsible ultimately for it, like Philip said, I was just wondering what the general consensus in the room is for um, God being able to... uh, define morality on his own basically he can come to abraham and he can say okay i want you to murder your child i want you to commit an act of evil but it's not going to be evil because i told you to do it therefore i dictate what morality is instead of morality being something that you know dictates my behavior so maybe god chose to do it and it's okay he is responsible but he's not morally culpable because he dictates what morality is
0: that's going to take too long to have people respond, so I'll give you this response. I'll give you one that C.S. Lewis came up with. He asked the question, are things right because God commands them, or does God command things that are right? Most of us, I think, would pick the first one, like anything that God commands is right. But he actually favors the second one, that God would just do things that are right. Now, of course, it's silly because all goodness and all, everything is measured by him anyway, but we'll have to talk about that afterwards because that has a lot of implications when you look at that dichotomy. Last comments? Anything else before we move on? Jason?
4: Uh, I would say that when, when God created us and he made us in, our, in his image, he gave us responsibility. And so we're the ones who are culpable because we're the ones who made the fault. He's not the one who made the fault. So he gave us responsibility. I think that's more important than just this free will, that he gave us responsibility over our own actions. And that we are the ones who are culpable because we're the ones who made the fault.
0: Okay. Yeah.
4: I would think that God can when He creates, like follow down like every
1: possibility, like from the point of creation to the end times and like what it would look like. And I guess like an idea of like possible worlds and like hundreds of different possible worlds. And like for whatever reason I think this is like the best of all those possible worlds and of all the different ways it could have created it he shows it this way where we have free will and possibly there's like a lot less evil and suffering in this world and a lot more people will be saved in this possible world than all the other ones and obviously we have nothing to compare that to but given the character of god i feel like this is the best of all the options that they're wearing
0: okay this is not a question to respond to it's just for you to think about or whatever and just think about it because we're going to God, stop right now and finish this next week. Because the question this leads to is, why did he even do it? Jeremy's post on the blog sort of wrestles a little bit with that ending part about, it. is there such a thing as the best of all worlds? That's an argument that's advanced that I felt like, I think Jeremy was saying, I don't believe in that. But don't we believe in a God who, everything he does, he does to the nth degree in perfection? Like, wouldn't he create the most perfect of all possibilities, like if there's a better world out there, even though, as you said, we don't know what other possibilities exist, don't we assume, I'm not saying shouldn't we assume, even though I believe you could ask that too, but don't we assume that God picked not only the best one, but the perfect one? That if there's anything better that he would have done that, that he isn't like holding back something a little bit and thinking, oh, there's this other one, but uh, let's see how this one works out first. Mm -hmm. I don't think we believe that about God. But that's the question I want you to think about because it leads into why even do any of this. Here's one way this is stated. Christians often say this. God gave us free will so that we could love him. Doesn't like robots, right? He loved us first, and it's very important. God loved us first. And our free will allows us to choose to love him in return. Okay, sounds nice. But a response to this is often this. As a result of allowing for the possibility of evil, death and suffering will come to every single person. So as a consequence of free will, everybody is going to die. And everyone is going to suffer. Most people will end up suffering in hell for eternity. Are you telling me that he did all of this so that we didn't have a restricted free will? Are you telling me that he did all of this so I could love him freely? Stated another way is with those possibilities on one side of the scale, I would have liked to be a robot. With those type of possibilities of most people ending up in hell forever and all the suffering and every single human being and every single animal, every single thing in the world dying, wouldn't it have been better just to say, maybe we don't have to love you freely. Maybe you, the robot thing isn't so bad. That's why we're doing all this intellectual somersaults. Because in all the other questions we are asking, yeah, theoretically this and theoretically that, an alternate universe this, you're thinking like, where are we going? This is a very real question that people would have. And you know when they have this question the most? Is when they're in the midst of suffering when they're in the midst of losing their children while they're still alive or something happens to people, that's when people start going, are you telling me that all of this is so that I can have free will? And you knew this was going to happen? Wouldn't it have been better just not to have it at all? And of course, people who are going through suffering, laying on the floor, clutching their stomach, unable to eat, just in total pain, are probably thinking, wouldn't it have been better not to have any of it at all? Next week, this is where we pick up. Let's pray. Lord, I do feel that it is right that we understand you even at this level. But these are the secret things that belong to you, so I ask that you would increase our knowledge. This week, Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit prompt us as we think about this. I know that life will creep in this week. I know that we'll be taken into other thoughts. But, Lord, our community... It's focusing on this. May your Holy Spirit in all of us prompt things so that next week when we return here, we might tell each other of the wonderful things that we have learned and even the difficult things that we have struggled with because your Spirit testifies to us and teaches us and brings us to an understanding that only you can reveal to us. We pray this in faith, Lord, that you would do this in our community. Amaze us, Lord, with the ways that you would bring us to a better understanding of who you are.